0: Well, some time ago, I heard about a pastor who once told an illuminating parable about the purpose and importance of light. The story goes that one night during an intense electrical storm, the power went out on a particular family's home, and the family's father carefully made his way to a storage closet where a bundle of newly acquired candles... kids, these were magic candles... In fact, for the sake of this parable, they were candles that could actually talk, but refused to give off their light, where these candles were kept. Well, the first candle said to the father, well, I need more time to learn how to be a candle. I don't want to make a mistake or cause harm or lead you astray in the dark. This candle was actually deep in personal study at the moment about wind resistance and had just uh, listened to a series of of, um, of videos on wick buildup in one's life. He was eager to begin his next book from a best-selling candle expert entitled Waxing Eloquently. The second candle likewise politely refused to give off his light, stating that he was in fact too busy meditating about illumination to actually give off his light. He couldn't be disturbed from his private, quiet times of meditation, noting proudly that it was very personally enlightening for him. Well, the third candle, too, was anxious and quite worried by the storm to give off his light at all. He simply replied, I- I'm too afraid, I'm just not sure I'm stable enough as a candle What if I drip wax on your hand? What if I cause you some harm? What if my flame goes out as you're going up the steps? And so he refused as well. Well, the fourth candle was too angry about being inconvenienced by the electrical storm. He was a temperamental candle. People often said that his problem was that he had a short fuse. He was known by the other candles as being rather a hothead. You saw that one coming perhaps. Well, the fifth and last candle to speak said, Father, you know, light really isn't my gift. Singing is my gift. And so she broke out into a beautiful chorus of this little light of mine. The remaining candles began to sing along as well, and nothing that the father could do could make any of the candles stop their singing. When the man finally found his way back to his wife in the dark, she said, Oh, Honey, I, I'm sorry, those, those are just church candles. Remember the church that closed down across the street? I bought them from there. You know, those candles only shine their light at church. Ouch. What good is a candle that refuses to give off its light? We might say this morning a similar question. What good is a Christian who fails to walk in the light of Christ's grace and truth in a dark and very needy world. Well, friends, Ephesians 5, verses 3 to 14, open before us this morning, is a text that has important implications of the luminous grace of God, the grace of God that is light to the world. That is, this text is right in the heart of the second half Of the book of Ephesians, which is all about the proper duties of Christians, Christian disciples, chapters four through six, who have believed the precious doctrines of God's grace in and to the church, Ephesians one to three. That is, because we Christians have been raised out of the death of our sins and depravity, we are now called to walk in a manner worthy of our high and holy calling. A calling, by the way, is which is through personal faith and by God's grace that is fashioned after the likeness and the holiness of God himself. And so as God's select and saved and sealed saints, us here in Blandon, and throughout Brooks County, we are likewise commanded with Paul's original audience to walk in love and to walk according to the light. That's what we're called to do, and there is no other option than for us to do it. So today in part two, if you missed last week, you missed part one of this particular passage, exposition, and message. Part two of a message entitled, Living in the Light of Christ. We're going to focus on the positive. Last week was what to avoid. This week is what to throw ourselves into. The positive instructions of this precious and very illuminating passage for us as Christians. And so this morning, as we invite the Holy Spirit to have freedom and movement among us and in our hearts... We're going to focus our attention on verses 7 to 14 in our passage, Ephesians 5, verses 7 to 14, where I believe we're going to see very clearly through the light of God's Word four practical implications for those of us who want to let our light shine for Jesus today. What would God have us to do and to hear this morning? Four things. Number one, let me give them to you and then we'll unpack them one at a time living in the light of Christ prohibits us from being partners with those who engage in dark and sinful deeds. We draw that right out of verse 7. Living in the light of Christ prohibits us from being partners with evil actions. Secondly, this morning, we're going to see that living in the light of Christ demonstrates that we actually have been delivered or rescued out of darkness into the marvelous and wonderful light of Jesus Christ. Not just about separation, but about identity and salvation. Thirdly, living in the light of Jesus Christ invites us to daily seek to discern what actually pleases the Lord our God. We are to live in the light of God's word, no longer living according to the wisdom of this world. And then fourth and lastly this morning, we'll see that living in the light of Christ requires us. It is an obligation for us to expose the darkness of our culture to the light of Christ's love and redeeming grace in his gospel. Those are our four points this morning. I know some of you, your, your sermon note... Uh, Process does not work well if you don't have alliteration. So let me give you four S's this morning as well to go along with these four points of what it means to shine, four S's for shining in Christ. Number one, separation. Number two, salvation. Number three, study. and number four, sharing. Separation, separation, salvation, studying and sharing. Our first point this morning is that living in the light prohibits us from being partners with those who engage in dark and sinful deeds. Note with me verse 7, and the very first word in the English of that verse, the word therefore. Notice how Paul writes, therefore do not become partners with them. That means this verse is linking back with what came before it, particularly verses 3, 4, 5, and 6. First off, we need to understand who are the them that Paul is saying that we aren't to to partner with. Well, look at verse 6 of Ephesians 5 to gain a little insight into that point. Paul says, Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, again, hearkening back to the sexual immorality, the, the covetousness, the immorality, the filthy talk and obscene joking, all these things. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. See, the principle here is quite clear illumination demands separation. To shine as light in the world, we must be different from the world. Paul says, essentially, you, my precious brothers and sisters in Christ in Ephesus, must not be partners with those in your context who disobey and defy the living God. You are not to conduct yourselves as they do, nor are you to condone what they do. Don't get swept up. Because you are set apart, is what Paul is saying. Now again, notably, this key word in verse 7 is the word partners. It is from the Greek word uh, sumatakos, which is actually used only one other time in all the New Testament. It's actually very interesting to note that. When you find a word uh, that that occurs so infrequently, it sort of makes you um, uh, perk up and notice as a student of Scripture. And more to the point, Paul uses this word the other time in Ephesians also. So it's a, it's a near instance, and it's found over in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6. We looked at this verse a few weeks ago, if not two months ago, where Paul says, This mystery, referring to the church, is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and, here's the word, partakers. Partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So when you come to the word in Ephesians 3, 6, partakers, it's actually the same word in Ephesians 5, 7, where Paul says, therefore do not become partners with them. It's the same word in the original language. To be a partner or a partaker are the same thing. And Paul's point is that those who are truly partners or partakers of the promises of God, both Gentile and Jew, are now co-heirs with Christ. In fact, our lives are grafted in to His family. We are one in the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, as an important implication or consequence of this, we... The church, be it in Ephesus in the ancient time or in Blandon in the modern time, we must not be in cahoots. We must not cavort with those who engage in these sorts of immoral and unethical actions. We must be different from them. That's what Paul is saying. Nor can we associate or identify with those who say it's no big deal to live a godless life. We are not to associate, to to jump into those relationships. As I said last Sunday, dirty minds and dirty mouths, the two parts of Ephesians 5, 3 to 6, are expressly prohibited. Paul says in this passage, uh, not even must be, a hint of this must not even be named among God's people in the church. Why? Because it brings contempt and shame upon the holiness of God and of Christ. Instead, we, as Titus 2.14 says, we are to be a pure people who are zealous for good works, declaring His praise, as Peter says in 1 Peter 2.8 uh, and 9. In essence, we need to decide, friends, are we on team light or are we on team darkness? Stop straddling the fence. You can't pick every team to be your favorite team because it increases your chances of them winning and of you being a part of the championship team. No, you must pick. Are you a part of team Christ or are you a part of team Satan? Which team are you on? And it's more than just the measure of your words. It will, you'll be known by your fruit, by your actions, and by your life. In essence, This first ethical command is that because we, again, we in Christ, not just we locally, but we in Christ, are partners together with the Lord in true righteousness and holiness, and therefore we must not be in league with those who belong to the world. And now interestingly, the Apostle Peter says some things that are very similar to this, talking about the the dissonance, that's a fancy word for meaning the disconnection, uh, the separation or parting of ways that should exist between God's children and the world in 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 1 to 5. Listen to this text. The apostle Peter writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit says, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves in the, with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. There's your two choices. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Sounds very similar to what Paul was writing about. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery lawlessness and they malign you but they will give account to him who is ready to judge both the living and the dead let me ask you a simple question would the people who know you the best who are closest to you who live with you who live next to you who work beside you or go to school with you would they be surprised to learn that you're a christian would that shock them to discover that you show up here on Sundays? Or are they stunned and not just a little bit bewildered every time you refuse to join, join in their drunken party? A dear friend of mine just shared a story with me recently about when he was engaged, his fiance coming out of town to visit, and he was riding along with a friend, and they were making plans, and his fiance was coming in town, but he was making arrangements for her to stay somewhere else. And his friend kind of looks at him and scratches at, Why is she not staying with you? What's wrong with that? And this was an occasion, an opportunity for this particular uh, man to, to say why his faith means that he doesn't get to give in to whatever he wants. But God controls His life. He lives according to the will of God. I mean, that's the sort of thing we're talking about here. I've mentioned before that I came to faith in Christ at the age of 14 as a freshman in high school. Do you know what my teammates on the football team and the basketball team and my classmates around Saudi Daisy High School called me after I became a Christian? My nickname was Preacher Boy. Everywhere I turn on the football team, they called me preacher boy. Some of them probably with an air of respect and some not so much. But they saw in my life that my faith in Jesus was my main priority. And I didn't live it perfectly, but I sought to be distinctive as a believer, certainly after I was born again. I can honestly say I don't ever remember those last couple of years in high school being invited to, you know, those kind of parties. I had a lot of friends, but I wasn't invited to those kind of parties. And you know what kind of parties I'm talking about because they knew that I would not participate in those activities. That is what we're talking about. See, Paul says, do not be partners with those who are defined or described by sexual immorality impurity, greed, obscenity, foolish talk, or crude joking, but rather, rather shine as lights. Don't even give in to those recruitment officers of the devil who want you to go along their way. Don't give in to them. Saints must behave like saints, not like sinners. This is a lot like what Paul says over in Second Corinthians chapter 6. In verse 14 and 15 and 16, where he says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. You know this passage. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what accord has Christ with Belial? Which is a word that I believe is referencing Satan or the devil or the lawless one. Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Now listen carefully. Because I'm going to say something that's going to sound like I'm talking out the other side of my mouth. Does this mean then that we are to be totally isolated and insulated, walled off from the lost people around us today? Is that what I'm saying? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. See, as Jesus himself says in John 17, we are to be in the world, but not of the world. We are physically here, but we are no longer described by this sinful, rebellious planet. You see, proximity to the lost does not equal participation in their behaviors. Now, Paul will give a different warning in 1 Corinthians 15, bad company corrupts good morals. Let me say it again, it is easier to get dragged into the mud than to lift someone up out of the mud. It's very, very important, young people, to to hear that. But this does not mean that we are to cut off ourselves, to become, uh, you know, those who are living out in the wilderness. No, we are to be in the world, but not of it. You see, you can know and we are called to know and love the lost without becoming like the lost, without doing what they do in ungodly ways or condoning their behavior. So listen, in my view, Ephesians 5, 7 does not in any way prohibit relationships, particularly friendships, maybe even business partnerships or employment in secular contexts. That's not what Paul is focused on. That's not his emphasis, but instead, this verse, Ephesians 5, 7, very pointedly prohibits us as Christians from being partners or participants in the very immoral or illicit activities that they perform. There is no negotiating there. That's black and white. Dirty deeds and dirty talk don't belong in God's house. So that's the first positive point this morning. Secondly, Living in the light of Christ demonstrates that we've been delivered out of darkness into Christ's own glorious kingdom. Notice what Paul says in verse 8. And really, in in a sense, this is building out of verse 7. He says, for, that's sort of a purpose statement now, because of what I've just said, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk As children of light. By the way, that phrase, walk as children of light, is the key command in this entire passage. Walk as children of the light. If verse 7, Ephesians 5, is about separation, then verse 8 is about identification. It is about salvation, even. Our identification as those who have been rescued by the light of the gospel in the face of Jesus Christ is undeniable. Walking in the light is a matter of urgency, because it is fundamentally a matter of identity. Darkness is the way that we who are now in Christ used to walk. Remember, go back to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. Back then, our lives, as Ephesians 2 has already said, were characterized by emptiness, By helplessness, by fruitlessness, by hopelessness, we were not merely in darkness. Paul says here, for you were darkness. It wasn't just a contaminant, it was our very culture. This was the very depths and the dregs of human depravity that Paul is talking about. Look, as he says elsewhere in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. That doesn't just apply to a handful. It applies to everyone. Everyone. He he states in the same chapter of Romans 3, there is none righteous, no, not even one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Life apart from Christ is not just spiritually sparse, it is totally barren. The human soul, apart from saving faith in Christ, is not just sick. It is dead on arrival in human depravity. To be outside of Christian faith is to be at rock bottom spiritually, whether it feels that way or not. That's what Paul is getting at here. All of us, friends, all of us, spiritually speaking, is what Paul relates in Ephesians 2 where he says, we were dead in the trespasses and sins, in which we once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom, he says in verse 3, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Those words are true of every one of us before we met Jesus. But now, <laughs> something has happened. But now, Paul says, you are light in the, world, in the Lord. You were darkness, but now you are. Again, not just a little bit of you. You don't just have a flicker of light. You are light because the light is in you. The Bible goes on to say in Ephesians 2, 4, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. The flame of faith has been ignited in the heart of God's children by the heart of God Himself. What God, therefore, demands he himself enables what god commands of his children he supplies by his grace what god wants when god wants something you better believe he's going to make a way for it to happen nothing and no one can thwart the sovereign will of god those who are graciously born again by the power of the holy spirit are commanded therefore to imitate God the Father who is himself both love and light. Both love and light. In fact, this radical reorientation of the human heart is further described over in Colossians chapter 1, verses 10 and following, where Paul says, So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Very similar language to Ephesians being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of of the saints in light. Notice Colossians 1.13, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and has transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. I, I, I call this a Christological Copernican revolution. It's a mouthful. I got it out. Whereby God's grace and through faith, we have finally and fully realized that the world does not revolve around us any longer. Our selfish appetites, our demands, but rather it revolves around the light of God's Son. That is living That is humanity, not demanding ourselves, but giving up ourselves, just as Christ did that for us. And this is what Paul was saying to his precious pastoral pupil, that man, Timothy, who would pastor this same congregation years after he was gone, that city of of Ephesus, that church in Ephesus. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11, Paul says this, As for you, O man of God, flee these things. Flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you have made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you, Paul writes, in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Notice, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him the honor and glory, eternal dominion, Amen. That's what Paul says to Timothy. There's no less of a bar for us. Walking or living in the light, therefore, means something has changed, not only in how we now relate to the world, but how we relate to God himself. We are saved and delivered out of darkness into the light. See, Christianity is not just about this big list of don'ts. It's fundamentally about what we now can do for the glory of God by His Spirit. So number three, living in the light of Christ further invites us, you and I this morning, to daily seek to discover and to discern what now truly pleases the Lord. When was the last time you made a new discovery about God? A new discovery about what it means to love God or serve others. If you haven't made a recent discovery, you're doing something wrong, because none of us are finished yet in our growing up in our faith. There should be something fresh on our hearts, in our devotions, in our discipleship, each and every day, if not every week. Listen, the one who is in Christ, who is seeking to live in the light of Christ, should wake up with one all-consuming question on his or her mind. And it is simply this, Lord, how can I please you Today, That's the question. With the minutes and with the money, with the hours, with every task, how can I please you? Living in the light prohibits us from being partners with those who engage in sinful and shameful actions. It also demonstrates that we've been delivered from the wages of our sin unto now new life and light in Christ, but it also beckons us to daily discover new truths about our awesome God. And our God is unfathomable. That is, we will never hit the bottom of His holiness. There's something new for you and I to enjoy and discover each and every day. Notice what Paul says in Ephesians 5, 9. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right, and true and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. That word discern is again a significant word. In the Greek it's the word dokamazo which means to simply examine closely to put to the test. It's it's connected to the same root of 2 Timothy 2.15 where it says study to show yourself approved a workman who needs not to be ashamed who rightly handles the word of God. To distinguish by testing or Proving. It's the same word that Paul uses, in fact, over in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. After that glorious doctrinal treatise of the book of Romans, Paul applies all of that doctrine into our lives, saying, This, excuse me, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That is, by testing, you may discern, there's our word, what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We have a choice to make every day, all day. And that choice is between, am I going to live my life to please others, or to please myself, or am I going to live my life to please the Lord? I've confessed before, I am a recovering people pleaser. If there's an AA group for people pleasers, I need to find it, and I need to be a part of it. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians five fifteen, Jesus died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. That is our purpose statement, by his pardon, by his grace. Listen, Paul himself knew this and lived it. Paul faced each day with the choice of pleasing himself or pleasing the Lord. And notice what he says to the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4. He says, but just as we have been approved by God... To be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Imagine for a moment that you were searching for precious diamonds or gems in a dangerous and dark cave. What would you need? Well, you would need light. Imagine you were a scientist and you wanted to examine something closely under a microscope. I don't know, kids, if you do this in your science classes. I loved... uh, science day when we did the the little microscopes. Well, on the little Petri dish or whatever little thing you have there under the microscope, what do you have to have in order to see what's on the microscope? You have to have light from underneath. Otherwise, it's, it's just a big blob. Imagine that you want to enjoy a beautiful painting in an art gallery, but that painting is somehow tucked away on an interior wall down a long, dimly lit Hallway. What do you need in order to discover the brilliance and the master of that artist? You need light. The same is true of us as Christians. God has given us both the key and the content. The Holy Spirit and the Holy Scriptures. In order for us to daily discover what is truly pleasing to Almighty God. I love what Psalm 119, 105 says. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I love what Proverbs 6.23 says, for the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is a light and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. Why do you stumble, dear, dear brother or sister? Maybe it's because you're living with a closed Bible or you're living not on your knees in prayer. Closed Bibles make for weak and ill-informed Christians. I know that because I've been that. In fact, I notice that Paul here gives us a sanctified hint in discovering what truly pleases the Lord in verse 9 where he says, For the fruit of light, which is a very odd expression. What do you mean, fruit of light? Some early manuscripts actually say for the fruit of the Spirit, just like Galatians 5 says, For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Again, notice that it's fruit. And fruit means it comes from a source. You see, in order for man to finally please the Lord, he needs to actually have the presence of the Lord. This is why the unregenerate people that we love, but who are lost, cannot Please the Lord They may be good friends, they may be moral people, but they are spiritually destitute and bankrupt, because they do not have the light of Christ in themselves. As Jesus says in John 15:8, "By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. It is not our profession of faith that is the measure of our sanctification. It is the fruit that we bear. And that fruit is caused by Christ in us. Jesus says in John 15, 5, apart from me, you can do what? A little bit? A whole lot? Peter says you can do nothing. You can do nothing. It was Charles Spurgeon who said, the most wicked book that you will ever read is your own heart. The heart, Jeremiah 17, 9 says, is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Well, God can. And more than God understanding it, God can change it. That's why it's so incredibly important for us as Christians to be planted in God's book. For his book is brimming with wisdom and life and light. His book reveals our brokenness and reminds us of His goodness, and particularly of the gift of God's grace in the face of Jesus. Without the light of the Spirit and the sword of the Word, it is impossible to discern what is truly pleasing to Almighty God. Open your Bibles and live. Fourth and finally this morning, living in the light of Christ requires us To expose the darkness of our world to the light of Christ himself. What happens when light comes into contact with darkness? Light wins. Light wins, if you haven't noticed. We're reminded of this, guys, at Victory Valley this summer. you got to walk those uh, long, dark trails to the campfire. Uh, I know they're kind of eerie and scary, but we're reminded of this. Every time we walk a dark path through the woods, aren't we? The dark and oppressive night is pushed back, foot by glorious foot, step after radiant step by the light of our lantern or the flicker of our flashlight. And notice, it's not the entire path. We don't flip a switch and the whole path is illuminated. No, it's step after sufficient step. That is the light Paul is talking about here. This is what Paul is getting at when he says, Walking in the light of the gospel of Christ requires us as Christians and as the church to expose this dark and evil world to the glorious light of the gospel. How? By being the light of Christ. It isn't rubbing the world's nose in its sin. Brother, sister, that's not what this is saying. As one writer said, walking in the light does not mean avoiding the lost, It means taking Jesus to the lost. It means confronting the darkness with the light of the gospel. That's what Paul is getting at. We are to be separate in our conduct, but God's saved children, you and I, are to study to show ourselves approved in order to be ready to give a defense for the reason for the hope that is within us. And they can't hear us if we're not near them. They can't see us if we don't go to them. They don't know that they need Jesus until they see Jesus in us. A couple of verses come to mind quickly. Matthew 5, we looked at this text a few weeks ago. Verse 14, you are the light of the world, Jesus says. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That is our purpose. Not to shine so that others see us. We are not center stage. Jesus is. We are to shine so that people see Jesus. Or as Peter says in 1 Peter three thirteen. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed." Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is within you. Oh yeah, do it with gentleness and respect. We need to hear that in our day. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, not if, but when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. The Bible says that we have this treasure, meaning the gospel and faith in Christ, in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. According to 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7. And that is why just two verses earlier, Paul says, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake for God who said listen let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ live as a lantern live as a lantern with the light of Christ in you that's our calling now just last Sunday afternoon For more than two and a half hours, many of us had gathered at Fleetwood Bible Church for the funeral services of a 39-year-old husband, and father, and brother, and friend, and elder, and mentor, and employer. And we listened to story after amazing story of how God used one man's life and one man's incredible faith to push back and to expose the darkness of this evil world. For 39 years. It was glorious. And it was not a little bit convicting. Instead of taking part in the unfruitful works of darkness, David Crossett exposed the people that he came in contact with, not rubbing their nose in their rebellion, but pointing their nose to life in Jesus. You have no idea. What impact for eternity you can make in one or 100 if you'll simply live for Jesus. Family and friends, employees and classmates, it does not matter. David's was a life that resulted in an overflow of obedience and glory to God. And we who knew him were the better for it. So four things We're prohibited from our partnership in the deeds, not in the relationships. We are called to walk as light, which demonstrates a new reality. We are new creations in Christ. We can no longer live the way we used to live. We are called to walk in the light, that is, to not be complacent, but to daily seek to learn what pleases the Lord. And we are called to shine as lights for Jesus in a world that is gripped in sin and darkness. Don't be a church candle that only is illuminated when you're inside church. Shine for Jesus each day and every day. Well, Paul concludes with a very fitting invitation for all of us in the final verse, verse 14. He says, For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is not about you, it's about Jesus. And Christ will shine on you. It's interesting that some people think that Paul is simply borrowing from Isaiah chapter 26, verse 19, or maybe Isaiah chapter 60, and verse 1, where Isaiah 61 says, Arise and shine, your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. A great Asianic prophecy of Messiah Jesus. Maybe, maybe. It sounds a lot like that. Others suppose that verse 14, even in our English Bibles, it's set off kind of like poetry, was an early baptismal confession, maybe even that Paul had created himself, crafted by Paul. It doesn't really matter. What matters is the invitation that is given here. It's a very fitting summons for all of us as we come to the end of this passage. And it's simply this, that Jesus Christ alone is the light of the world. And that he's the light that every human needs to know and receive in their hearts by faith. So do you know him? In other words, does your life look somebody who's sleepwalking spiritually because you're joining in to evil deeds of darkness? If so, that sound you hear is heaven's alarm clock calling you to awake, to be aroused from your sleep, that you might repent of your sin, Or if you don't know Christ, that you might receive him by faith before it is everlastingly too late. If you hear the warning with a sense of dread at the coming of Christ, a sense of foreboding that that wrath is pointed at you, there's something you can do. It is deal with a merciful God today. He wants to change you. From the inside out. He has made every way possible for you. To be with him in heaven. It is to accept Jesus Christ. By faith. Whatever you need to do. Be it repentance. Or to receive Jesus Christ. Would you do so today? Would you respond to this invitation? This summons. With faith. May God be pleased. Let's pray. Almighty God and Father, we thank you for just the sharpness of your word. Oh, Father, you pierce us at times with the truth of your word in order to slice away all that is not appropriate and pleasing.